0: Hi everybody, this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to keep myself entertained, talk to my dear friends, and learn something. So I always think it's nice that we can expand our knowledge and understanding of horses through the uh, value of webinars like this when we're all home. Um, some people have now been kind of getting back to riding their horses, so um, you can always watch these webinars afterward. They're gonna be up on the Surefoot Fine YouTube channel please go there and watch any of the previous ones. Um, We are up to number 84 today. Um, And so I'm so pleased to have my dear friend, Dr. Joyce Harmon back with me to talk about homeopathy. Um, My background screen tonight, you might recognize it from like Star Trek because homeopathy talks about tiny, tiny, tiny little essence of particles. So I thought it was an appropriate background.
1: Uh, Welcome Joyce, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me back, Wendy. It's it's a lot of fun and it's good to share stuff, especially when we start talking about homeopathy, because a lot of people really have no clue what it is. It comes in little white balls. They all look the same. Um, and yet it's a very powerful method of healing.
0: So Joyce, I know that I I personally have had a really imp- powerful experience with homeopathy, but I, I think that you experienced homeopathy before you ever started practicing homeopathy. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was, I was treated years ago when I first started into doing alternative medicine types of things. And I had seizures that, that didn't seem to do very much or didn't seem to really respond to Western medicine. So I did some acupuncture and some homeopathy and they went away. And so I thought, you know, this is something that I needed to study. Back when I first started in 1990, there really wasn't a whole lot being taught. But within a few years, there were there were courses in homeopathy that have continued to till today.
0: It, yeah, and I think, you know, it's it, usually with something like this, there's a personal experience that one has that really brings it home. Um, and I just wanna tell a little personal experience. Um, it's, it's a short story, but um, I, I mean, I've been exposed to homeopathy now because you got me to go to Dr. Shevin, who is in Connecticut way back when I still lived there, when I had a horrible sinus infection that nothing helped, including very powerful antibiotics. But the, the probably the most powerful experience I've had with homeopathy was with my mom. Because uh, when she was living with me when she was like 90, Uh, 92, I was at Equine Affair presenting and she was home and she had fallen down and hit her head and then gotten back into bed. And when she was found, you know, when the in home care came the next day, they discovered that she had seriously fallen. She had blood, but they did an EEG, I think it's EEG, and she was fine, they said. But when I got home and I saw her sitting in the chair, I saw my mother dying before my eyes. And I called you and you said, give her arnica. And I gave her a very low potency dose. And in 15 minutes, I watched my mom come back to me. And it was such an amazing experience. And I did that. It's going to make me cry. I did it three times over a couple of weeks. And my mom went from literally like she is about to die too, sitting there reading a book. Not that she could read because she had dementia, but going through a book and the in-home care person, when I gave her that third dose and she started looking at a book was completely blown out of the water. She was like, what did you do? And I was like, I gave her a dose of Arnica. And so for me, that is probably, you know, I mean, I've seen many horses that you've treated and you've helped me with my cat and myself and Brad, but that was one of the most powerful experiences I ever had because there's no way my mom who had dementia could know what I was doing. So there couldn't be any placebo effect and the immediacy and dramatic change was, uh, just, I can't even put it into words. So I'm so grateful to you for having brought homeopathy into my life and what it's done for me and my animals. And so I am just really, um, it's such a pleasure to be able to have you talk about this so that other people can begin to understand homeopathy and how it works and the possibilities for healing.
1: It's, it's, a, it's an amazing system. And I think that even a lot of people who use homeopathy, really, they really don't understand kind of what's behind it and what its real power is. You can use homeopathy, and we'll talk about it. You can use it in a very simple kind of cookbook kind of way, and it works really, really well. And you can also use it in a very deep constitutional way to treat many, many complicated conditions. And, and we'll touch a little bit on how we go about that um, because it, it is so much more than most people think that it is. So I'm just going to share a little picture here that's kind of fun. And Cheryl, um, uh,
0: Cheryl I see that you've posted a question, but we're going to let Joyce kind of introduce homeopathy, and then we'll handle some of these questions at the end, um, because I think we need to have a little bit of an understanding of it uh, for that question to make sense. So I won't forget you, I'll, or just pop a reminder in the chat as we get later into the discussion. Thanks.
1: So so this picture of these two pussycats, a typical kind of pussy cats who really don't care for each other, is pretty classic example of what the medical community thinks of homeopathy. They sit behind closed doors and grumble and complain that this stuff has There's nothing in it and we'll explain why that appears to be the case and it couldn't possibly work and and it's all quackery and they really don't want to even look at it because it is a different thought process. But in reality, it is very grounded in science. And when you open your mind up to it, which these pussycats are not about to do, but we're going to do in this um, webinar, is to, is to say, is to show you kind of how it works, what's behind it, how we even make these things called remedies, and then think about some of the things that we can treat. So if we kind of get started, Many of you have probably met things like Arnica. Nice little bottle of Arnica. And there are a bunch of little white balls. I don't know if you can see those. Little white balls. No, but balls. if you kind of
0: just like pick it up and drop. There we go. And that that we can see. Yep.
1: Okay. So I get accused of having a big vat of little white balls and putting different names on them. They all look the same, but the way that they're made is they're made from many different compounds, mostly plant material, but also animal material and minerals. So basically almost anything that's on earth can be made into a homeopathic remedy. So, if we look at how we make these little balls, it begins to, you begin to understand it. So, I'm going to do this screen share thing again. Getting and, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, except that I want it to go, there we go. Yep. Okay. So, when, when you make these remedies, you take this original substance, whether it's animal, plant, or mineral, and you're going to make what's called a mother tincture. And the mother tincture is, it's sort of like an herbal tincture. But if you're making it out of a mineral, it's obviously not going to be made quite the same way as an herbal tincture. And if you're making it out of an animal part, say a bee or a the ink of a, of a cuttlefish, oops a different manner than you would an herbal tincture. But if you think about it like an herbal tincture, you're going to take a bunch of um, the original compound, and you're going to dilute it in a very specific way. And the, there is a book called The Homeopathic Pharmacopeia, and it tells you exactly how these remedies are made. And they are all supposed to be made the same way around the world. And you're supposed to follow this in a very specific manner. You don't just, you, you don't just make things up it's actually scientific and, in a, and that the FDA, at least at the present time, is recognizing the homeopathic pharmacopoeia. So we're gonna make this mother tincture, this original solution, and then we're gonna make these dilutions. And the dilutions are what tweaks everybody's brain because we can think about making an herbal tincture. Okay, we're gonna take a pound of this, um, a pound of herbal leaves, say, and we're gonna put it in some alcohol and we're gonna make a tincture and we're gonna mash it all up and we're gonna let it sit. And so, or we're gonna take a handful of herbal, herbal leaves or roots and give them to our horse. And in a way, that's like medicine. We're going to take 25 pills of something or three pills of something, and we're going to give it to our horse or ourselves or or our animals. In homeopathy, we're going to take that original tincture, and we're going to begin this serial dilution process. And that's what actually makes a homeopathic remedy a homeopathic remedy and not just diluted water. So we take our mother tincture, we put one part, so let's just say one drop of our mother tincture, and we'll put it into nine drops of alcohol, or nine parts of alcohol. So that part could be one ounce, we could take one ounce of the mother tincture and put it in nine ounces of alcohol. We could a gallon and put it into nine gallons, doesn't matter. Then that dilution is going to be called an X dilution. So if you buy a homeopathic remedy, it says on it a number like 30 and then it'll have a letter after it, an X or a C or a D if you're in Europe or you're in um, Canada. A lot of times you'll see D and D is decimal. So D and X are very, very similar in the way they're made. Sometimes you'll see an H, just depends on the country, but the concept is all the same. And sometimes in other countries you'll see we tend to see a six or 12 or a, or a 30. In other countries, we might see a, a five and a nine. Doesn't matter. The principle's the same. So we're going to take our one part of our mother tincture and put it into nine parts of alcohol. If we want to make a mixture that has a C after it, Centesimal is the Latin name for a thousand. Decimal is the Latin name for um, tens. For hundred, centesimal is hundreds. Yeah. So if we wanna make a C, we're gonna take our one part of our mother tincture, and we're gonna put it into 99 parts of alcohol. So that's a lot more dilute than the X interestingly enough as we learn about this the more dilute we get actually the more the stronger we get so technically the c dilution is a little bit stronger than the x clinically you meant most of the time do not have to worry for most of the things that you're going to be treating the the detailed homeopaths can can worry about it if you need a specific potency. So we have now made a 1X or a 1C because we've put our one part of the mother tincture into nine parts of alcohol. That gives us a one dilution. Now the key to making a homeopathic remedy is that you're gonna take that dilution and you're gonna do what's called succussing So back in the old days, you did it against a Bible. So you can do it against your hand. You can do it against a book. It doesn't have to be a Bible. But you are going to bang it, say, 10 times. In that succussing or banging, or as it's done now by machines very, very precisely, that shaking action... Is what helps imprint the energy of the original substance. So this is an energetic medicine. We are making, we are not going to be dealing with the herb in our hands. We're going to be dealing with the energy of the herb. This is where our Western trained brains start to tweak because to make a 2X, see our little dishes here at the bottom? I don't know if you can see my cursor, but we're we're gonna take one drop out of this 1X over here on the left, one drop, and put it into either nine or 99 parts of alcohol. And that's going to give us a 2X or a 2C. So already you can see this is getting very dilute. We have one drop in our nine or 99 drops here and now we're gonna take one drop of that diluted solution and put it into nine or 99 drops of alcohol. And that's gonna give us a two X. Now we're gonna do our succussing and we're gonna take one drop of our 2X and we're going to put it into nine or 99 drops. We're gonna succuss it and that will become a 3X or a 3C. So it is very dilute. So if I didn't do the succussing or shaking, I would have a nice dilute solution that would not necessarily have any special action and probably would mostly have the action of a bunch of alcohol, which has its own action. Um, and, you know, a, a nice glass of alcohol can go a long ways towards making an evening very pleasant. <laughs> but you are not going to have the effect of your remedy in it. So now, if you remember I said numbers like 6 and 12 and 30, That process gets repeated six times, 12 times, 30 times, and each time it is more dilute. By the time you get to 30x, there is none of the original substance left. It is just energy. Up until 30X, you might have some of the original substance, a very, very small amount. It's not gonna to be toxic even if the original substance was toxic, but people worry about that sometimes. By the time you get to 200X, which is a very con- the next kind of really common potency in the US, and really um, around the world, you've done this process 200 times. If you're doing it on a Bible, your hands getting pretty tired. And back in the 1800s, this was this was a form of medicine that was actually discovered in the late 1700s, and was done by hand all the way through the 1800s um, into the late 1900s when they started to automate it. So, How 200
0: did they out that succussing it made it more powerful.
1: Uh, you'll have to ask Samuel Hahnemann back in the 17th. So if you get a time capsule, you can ask him how he figured it out. But he definitely figured out that the more that he diluted it, the more powerful it became. And so when he when he figured this out, the main form of medicine, if you will call it that, was arsenic and mercury. <laughs> <laughs> which is you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. stronger right <laughs> but, oh, yeah. yeah. if you survive the treatment you're good and so he didn't he didn't like that so he started working to figure out how to treat people that wasn't toxic and actually some of our most powerful medicines are made from arsenic and mercury but they have been through this dilution process, so there is nothing toxic left. But we can treat all the symptoms of toxicity of those compounds with the dilute. Do um, you hear a funny noise in the background?: Yes, my dog My dog is very upset that we are not playing after dinner. Oh. I was wondering who the hole. heck that was <laughs> she's digging holes in the bed okay um it's always nice to
0: understand the sounds then you don't have to worry about them <laughs> yes
1: yes oh, millie thank you i have a young dog who is um has opinions about what we do after dinner <laughs>
0: So someone said basically the succussing is releasing the energy of the medicine into the liquid.
1: Yes, it's basically putting an imprint in it. And there's actually been some very fascinating research. Now that we have quantum physics and nanoparticles, there's a lot of research that's being done on what is essentially homeopathic preparations of many different types of compounds. So when you start talking about nanoparticles and you start talking about quantum physics, and in quantum physics, the chair that you are sitting in currently, assuming that you're sitting down, we assume is fairly hard and non-movable. But in quantum physics, each one of those pieces of that solid chair each molecule of that is actually in motion. And that is just a, that is, we see it as solid, but the quantum physicists see that as not solid, as in motion. And so the nanoparticle research and the quantum physics research is actually proving that homeopathy A exists and B a little bit on how it works. Great. and they are gradually Great. explaining it and there are research papers that are showing that that homeopathy is closer to nanoparticle type of of a um of a compound if you will than anything else but it's and there's some other research that showed that a homeopathic remedy if you put it in a, in a liquid and you set it on a magnetic field measuring device, that each remedy has a different magnetic picture, which goes back to its original compound. So the succussing is imprinting or releasing or however you want to look at it, that original compound into this solution and is actually becoming stronger the more you do this succussion.
0: Uh, out of curiosity, you know how they have taken water and exposed it to different emotions and then looked at the crystal structure? Has anybody done that with the remedies? Just out of curiosity.
1: Um, yeah, some of the crystal structure, I think is part of some of that magnetic research. And there's, there is, there um, is one of my colleagues has seriously been into, to looking in depth at the modern research that's in quantum physics and, and and nanoparticles and crystal stuff. And there is some fascinating, very difficult to read because of the technical terminology, but some very fascinating information out there. Yeah,
0: and somebody just posted the name of the books that I'm referring to. It's The Healing Power of Water and The Hidden mm-hmm. Message in Water by I'm gonna take a stab at it, Meru Emoto.
1: Yes, the, the Japanese guy and there's, that's an amazing, totally amazing book to have a look at. It's the, the pictures in it and the, the difference in the, the crystal structure of the water is going to be similar because the, this compound, the alcohol can take on the energy of these compounds. So very similar concept. Yeah, yes. Sorrow
0: apparently is his first name. So <laughs> we've got a, Barb Heck has
1: been feeding me yeah. some information. Great, Barb. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, I love to sit there and look at that book. It's one of my favorite oh, yeah. books on it, my shelf. It is
0: amazing to, to, to see how it changes with the different thoughts that are
1: exposed. Yeah. yeah. So so that's the basic concept of how we make the remedy. So we end up with this liquid that can have been diluted multiple times. One of the really cool things about homeopathy as we talk about our world running out of resources is that one small amount of this mother tincture can make thousands of doses at a 30C dilution, or a 200C dilution, or something like that. It's very resource conservative. And, and that's, I think, one of the things that I like about it. And I'm just going to, I need to hand my dog something to play with. She is looking okay. at digging up to play. <laughs> Well, talk about your experience for a minute, Wendy.
0: Okay, so um, when I, my first time with homeopathy was back when I was living in Connecticut. It was, I think, 1996, and I wound up with a sinus infection, um, and I was supposed to fly to New Zealand. And I went to the doctor, and they put me on really strong antibiotics, and at the time I was vegetarian, another talker, doctor told me, well, you really need to eat some meat to get you know your, your Body up to speed, um, I have tried vegetarianism a couple of times, and it is my body does not agree with it um, so um, anyway, I you know nothing was making it better, and so I went to dr. Shevin, who 's there in Connecticut, and he interviewed me for two hours and came up with a constitutional remedy, so that 's where the doctor literally asks you just about everything about you the way you sleep, you know the foods you like the you know, whether your foot's outside the covers, um, you know, your emotional state. And he gave me a remedy and I, he told me not to take it until I got home, which was really interesting. And I took the remedy and I was on an airplane to New Zealand within a week. I mean, able to fly within a week, totally cured me. Um, Really incredible because I had been sick for uh, at least six weeks to two months and nothing was having an effect. Um, And he's actually an MD that, um, wound up doing homeopathy because he had a, had a um, patient who was not getting better under his care as a regular doctor. And she took a homeopathic remedy and got better. And he saw that happen and completely changed his practice and became a homeopathic MD. Um, So it's, you know, pretty, pretty amazing, actually. Millie, happy now?
1: Yes, Millie is happy. Yes, And I am happy. So in this, in this, um, so Wendy's talking about things that that get treated with this, and we're sitting in the middle of a pandemic, which is the reason that we are sitting around Zoom instead of out riding our horses. The interesting thing about homeopathy is that. It has been used in pandemics and epidemics since the 1800s. So just a couple of interesting factoids about homeopathy and its successful use in, um, in these epidemic type of things. These are documented. These can be found in the literature. So in hospitals, there used to be homeopathic hospitals. And there used to be homeopathic colleges. And actually the American Medical Association was formed back in the early 1900s specifically to squash homeopathy and go into the more drug-based model, which still was not very pretty back in the early 1900s. So in some of these homeopathic hospitals, this was the only way that, that treatments were done Yellow fever, which was a big killer of um, a lot of people, in conventional hospitals and conventional death rate, 20 to 70% of the people who contracted yellow fever died. The homeopathic death rate for that one was 1% to 3%. Scarlet fever, leading cause of infectious disease in kids and death, 30% mortality. Homeopathic care, less than 3%. Um, Lobar pneumonia, 18 um, percent. Homeopathic, one to three percent. That was the that reference there. Some veterinary successes for homeopathy in outbreaks. In Switzerland, in cattle, they, they had a big outbreak of foot and mouth disease. And what was really interesting about this and really proved how well homeopathy was working is that uh, hoof and mouth, or foot and mouth disease is transmitted easily by people carrying it on their boots and on their clothing. So in this particular case or group of cases, group of farms, cattle were handled by the people that already, that handled the sick cows. Healthy cows were handled by the same person. And yet, the homeopathy there was used preventatively and the cattle treated homeopathically did not contract foot and mouth disease. And it is a highly contagious disease. Yeah. Um, it- and this was a study done? Hmm? Really impressive.
0: I had not heard about that study. That's really impressive.
1: Uh, There's some some amazing, I think I have some of the more amazing ones on some of these slides. 1985, a study done in England, an outbreak of bordetella, which is kennel cough. And anybody who has dogs knows how highly contagious kennel cough is. So large boarding kennel, the incidence of treatment for all the dogs that came into this um, boarding kennel They basically all got um, kennel cough. Then they started treating the dogs coming in, and they got 1.9%. So they started at 92%, essentially. 1.9% got the actual serious disease after they were treated homeopathically, and 23% had minor symptoms, minor coughs tremendous difference from 92 percent to one point or two oh, percent yeah. basically with 23 percent not very sick.
0: You don't get those kind of numbers in in almost any study with any drug that I can
1: think of. <laughs> uh no. well no. Um and and this sort of thing goes on. There's cholera outbreaks. There are I think I had scarlet fever. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, currently, this is modern times, down in Haiti after all the hurricane trouble that they had or the earthquake trouble that they had, the Homeopaths Without Borders, which is a really nice organization if anybody wants to support a homeopathic organization, they work kind of like Doctors Without Borders. A lot of volunteer people go and they have been working in Haiti for, quite a few years now and cholera was a huge problem because of the sanitation issues and, or no, typhoid, I think it is. And um, they have reduced the incidence of typhoid and they have been able to treat these people and reduce the death rate very significantly. And they've got a lot of practitioners who are now, they're training people to do it. It's not just the, the doctors going in, it's their, they're actually training the, the MDs over there and the even the lay homeopaths that are not medically trained. Um, so someone's asking
0: about that it can be used as a preventative, which you showed that in that slide for the Swiss cows, um, which is a little bit different concept than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and the using it preventatively is a slightly different concept, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit, they're they're called nosodes, which is a form of homeopathy that's made from the actual disease tissue. So that's your preventative type of treatment, a little bit more like a vaccine in its concept, but very different in its action in the body. So so we'll come back to that in a minute, um, but we've got the with the the epidemic type of treatment what you're usually looking for is a remedy that fits most people most people's symptoms so that can even be like a common cold you can have a common cold that has a characteristic symptom that everybody gets a sore throat they may get varying degrees of sickness but everybody in that group gets a sore throat. So a remedy that would fit everybody would have to have a sore throat as part of its picture. And so in our current epidemic or pandemic is the idea that the homeopaths are working on is finding remedies that are what we call the genus epidemicus that will treat most people with the symptoms and there's a there's a good variety of different symptoms so it's not going to it is not proving to be as straightforward as some of the pandemics and epidemics where the symptoms have been confined to a very small picture the covid seems to have quite a large picture and and so there are going to be a number of different remedies but that's what the homeopaths are working towards
0: and and um, just to touch on it lightly, I know when it, the pandemic first started and I talked to you, you had said that the the homeopaths had not had enough cases to know whether it was working. And then the next time I talked to you, it was about six weeks later, and you were like, they're starting to come up with some generalized ideas mm-hmm. and haven't talked to you lately. But I'm assuming that because now they're able to, to see more people with these symptoms, they're starting to kind of narrow down on at least some...
1: Uh, as yes, you say,
0: they are in the symptoms.
1: Yeah. yeah, they're narrowing down on some remedies. And interestingly enough, there are different remedies in different countries Oh, because there seem to be disease patterns in some different countries and, and nobody's completely sure why though you have some countries where smoking is still very prevalent. And so those people's lungs are going to be compromised in a different way than than countries more like the US where there's less smoking. Um, but there's still there are still many unknowns and the homeopaths are not we'll just say they're not being encouraged to treat the people and so they're they're seeing small small numbers of people who are dedicated to seeking out homeopathic treatment. But are that there data is
0: countries that are more inclined to go to homeopathy than others.
1: Many of the European countries are more open to homeopathy in, especially in Germany. There is, there, Germany, it is really considered, it's not mainstream because there are, they are trying to suppress it in many parts of the world. And Germany is also on that list of countries that are trying to suppress it. But, um, many, May, as much as 25% of the conventional doctors have some degree of use of homeopathy. Well, At least those statistics that have been I have seen published.
0: Right. So hopefully with time and more, more cases that are being treated with homeopathy, they will uh, be able to come up with sort of a class of remedies based on the symptoms. Yeah. Time, time being the so, operative thing
1: to have more experience with it. Yeah. And so it's well worth following um, some of the different homeopathic doctors that have blogs. Paul Herskew is one that has a blog that's really trying to track the information. I actually haven't looked at his blog in the last few weeks, but um, very credible information. Anybody, if, as you're reading, anybody who says, oh, we have found the cure and it is X, Y, and Z remedy, eh, it's not quite that simple. So it's a piece of information, but you don't necessarily, you don't want to jump on everybody's bandwagon who says, oh, yes, I've got the cure. Yeah. There is no one cure. And certainly not at this point. And it's too complex a disease to think that we're going to have one remedy that yeah, will fix it all.
0: Um, how do you? It's Paul. How do you spell his last name?
1: H E R S C U. Okay, and uh, he's got he's got a nice blog. He's up in New England. Great practitioner. Great. And, um, and there there are many other things, and we're going to talk about homeopathy tonight. So we're not going to get into. Um, all those kind of details, but let to let you know that there is information out there and homeopathy really has a track record that is as astounding. When you look back at these early 1900 epidemics, pandemics, and the difference in death rate between the ones that are treated homeopathically and the ones that are treated conventionally. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting times and it's a shame that um, the current climate in this country is really trying to suppress that information, but you can can still dig it out. So if we move on a little bit now into how we would go about using these diluted remedies, probably the first thing we should talk about is how do you give them to animals? And there are a whole bunch of religions about how you touch these remedies, how you give them, what you have to do. I actually had a client one time that said, Oh, yeah, my homeopath said I had to use a shot glass. So she was putting a shot glass in her horse's mouth because she was told that it could only touch glass. So, huge danger there. <laughs> uh, it was not one of my more. Popular methods, let's say, yeah, um, like really scary methods. So th- there are a lot of people who say you can't touch the remedies. You can't, you know, they're just these, they're these little tiny white balls that you can barely see in my hand. And And what's the reason for not wanting to touch them? You know, I think that's been lost in, in this sort of, religion about how delicate they are and it's like the people I think I think you're going to change the energy of them you're going to cancel them out you're going to destroy them there's all kinds of stuff and I was trained that way that you're supposed to be very careful and then I watched my clients pick them up off the ground and give them to their horse because it fell out of their hand and it worked and then I now I do that all the time if it falls on the ground I just pick it up and give it back to them I touch them. They tell you you're not supposed to to, to eat or drink with them. And they tell you you're not supposed to have coffee, and yet if you go to Europe, they drink coffee like you can stain your spoon up in, and they take their remedies and they seem to work fine. And in this country, you'll hear have a lot of people um, that that are told, oh, you can't have any coffee while you're on the remedy. And there are a few remedies that coffee will cancel out. But um, for the most part, I find these remedies incredibly durable. My personal little kit has been x-rayed. They tell you that it can't be x-rayed. My kit has been x-rayed in Africa and China and all kinds of bush kind of airports and things like that that do not have high quality x-ray machines. And it's easier to have them x-rayed than it is to explain why you have a whole bunch of little white balls because they sort of look like other drugs. So if you have Montezuma's Revenge on the other side of the x-ray machine, and not only does your remedy work for you, who believes that it's working, but it works for your friends on the trip who do not believe in this stuff at all, but their emodium is not working. And you know that these remedies have survived that passage through the x-ray machine. If you store them on top of your microwave, you probably will destroy it. It is an energy medicine. If you set it on your microwave once and you turn it on, it's probably not gonna hurt anything. So they are very durable. Um, One of my colleagues did a lot of cattle work and he had his black bag, veterinary black bag, out in the hot sun in the middle of the summertime, sitting in the field for two hours while he's working on a cow. And the remedies are, you can almost smell the remedies when you open up the bag and they all still work and they all do their individual job. I've had them in the back of my car. I, you know, you can, basically, you can touch them, you can drop them on the ground, you can have them in the sunshine. If you leave them in the sunshine for a month, yes, you're probably going to cancel them out. Remedies last a lifetime in their original packaging. They have a date on them because the FDA makes us put a date on them, but I've taken remedies that were probably at least 50 years old. So they will last a long time. Don't throw them out when you think that you don't need them anymore. And um, they, you can also feed them with food. So the idea is that the remedy is absorbed in the mucous membranes of your mouth. A horse has a long, wet mouth and they chew their food really well. So by the time they've chewed that little handful of food and the remedies up, those remedies have been dissolved in their mouth. People, dogs and cats, have short mouths and they tend to swallow their food whole. So for people, we say, well, put it under your tongue and let it dissolve. Well, horses aren't going to do that, and but they're going to chew it up. And dogs and cats are definitely not going to do that. So the easy thing with the dogs and cats is I take a teaspoon. I put a few little balls in, however many I want. I put a few drops of water in. I take another teaspoon, grind it up a little bit. So now it's just wet and crunchy. And I pour it in the corner of the mouth. Most animals will let you do that. Some of the cats, not so much. <laughs> so so just the little trick with the
0: cat, we had a one cc syringe and we would crush it, dissolve it a little bit, and then suck it up in the syringe and squ- taking two of us, Izzy, squirt. <laughs>
1: We're great, but cats are different. Cats are different. So you could put it in a little milk if they'll drink milk or a little bit of broth or a little bit of liquid, but if your cat won't, won't eat any of those items then you have to go to resorting to squirting it and you can certainly dissolve it in you can dissolve it in water and squirt it in their mouth you can the options are endless what i tend not to do is put it on three pounds of food having said that there are barn situations where i could only do that guess what it works and so i have i I encourage people to either do it on a little handful of food or a lot of these fat horses only get a little handful of food so it can go right into their supplement container. But, um, if it ends up on a bunch of food, it's probably still going to work because the remedies themselves, they work if they're the right remedy. And if they're not the right remedy, then you need lots of stories as to why they don't work. And I mean, I feed a lot of them, on I just walk out our horses <laughs> you just walk out in the field <laughs> hold it up your hand and they are like oh and I, they're trying to get every single last one of them yep. so it's it can be very very simple and, and, and someone not... said that she's you know pulled out the lower lip and put it there and I've done that yep many yeah, times We can do that. be flexible and make it simple That's the, that don't subscribe to all of these. Oh, you can't touch it. You can't breathe on it. You can't, you have to have a silver spoon or, you know, whatever the religion is. Don't worry about all that. Makes it much easier. Yep. So we've got dosing down. The usual doses, because remember all these things look alike. Sometimes you'll find little sand-like granules, and sometimes you'll find bigger balls that you can actually count. The liquid is sprayed onto the balls, which makes it easier to handle. You can also buy homeopathic remedies as a 6X or a 30X or a 30C in a liquid form, and that works perfectly well. It does have alcohol in it, and a lot of animals do not like the taste of alcohol. Yeah. So it's actually much easier usually to use it put on little balls. So that, that's what I they do. It.
0: They take the dilution and then they just spray it onto the little sugar pills? And yeah. uh, Okay. I wondered how they got it into the
1: pill. <laughs> yes. It's just sprayed on and then it it just dries. The alcohol kind of evaporates off and the energy is left on the little pill. Okay. So we've now got dosing down. So now we start thinking about how we're actually going to, how we're going to use it, and what we can use it for. So like I said earlier, there's sort of two big categories. One is the acute diseases, and one is the chronic, the constitutional, what Wendy was describing, you ask every question under the sun. And then we also have the preventative or the no-sode version of homeopathy. So those are the three big areas. And we'll start with the acute version because that's nice and simple and, and you all can do it. And then you will. one of the other religions that you will hear about homeopathy is you can't use it with drugs. Well, I'm not gonna take some of these horses off of their drugs immediately because they need them. We can't pull the support out from underneath, even though the drug may not be doing what we want it to do and we want to get away from the drug. But if I'm gonna walk up and say, well, you know, you have to stop the drugs and then start the remedies, which some practitioners do, I find that that leaves the horse kind of suspended sometimes their condition gets much worse especially when you have um, itchy skin or something like that and lots of people will say you can't use it with steroids and steroids probably do cancel some of it out but you just repeat your remedy and as the animal gets better you don't need the steroids so much so and, and usually you can get them off of the steroids or any other drugs sometimes you Especially in the older horse or the really severely ill horse, we can we can do both. So in the acute diseases, an acute disease means that technically it should it should it has the capability of getting better by itself. So an infection, um, and in a reasonable time frame, an infection from a cut, um, a broken bone a flu type of, you know, an upper respiratory type of an infection, an abscess, all kinds of of really simple things that normally you are treating in your barn every day. And many times, if you have a lot of horse experience, you don't even need to call the vet, you know, okay, this is a cut, doesn't need to be sutured, I can handle it. And then two days later, you go, you know, this is starting to look a little bit not quite so good. And you start to see a little infection. So you can treat it homeopathically. If that's not working well enough, you can always bring in the antibiotics. But um, that's the type of conditions. And I have a little book on the website called Homeopathic First Aid for Horses. And it's a nice little handy cookbook of all the simple acute things that horses do to themselves. And horses are a good place to practice because almost every week they have something, whether it's some hives, whether it's a little cut, whether it's an abscess, whether it's, you know, who knows, bug bites. I mean, that's a great thing to treat. Um, And so you'll, you'll get lots of practice. And the other thing with homeopathy is you want to practice it at your level of comfort. So in the beginning, you may not be very comfortable with it. So you're giving the drugs, but you also give the remedy. So you're giving both things together. And what you'll usually notice is that it heals faster than it would have in your past experience. So it gives you a little confidence. So then the next thing you do is next time you have this similar situation, you go, okay, I'm gonna start with homeopathy. And I know that I could bring in the antibiotics if I needed to and guess what you probably don't need to and you gain some more confidence and then you know you come along with say an osteomyelitis or a really nasty bone infection which in conventional medicine is really hard to treat and in homeopathy i love those cases <laughs> because they're actually relatively easy to treat because homeopathic medicines are energy medicines they don't need a blood supply and so um in these acute conditions we can use the remedies to treat in a fairly simple cookbook fashion we have x problem here is x remedy that should fit that and sometimes we'll have two or three choices but we don't have 20 choices when i'm treating a complex case i might have 20 choices so
0: That's the when way for horses is your book right
1: homeopathic first aid for horses yeah
0: i'm just putting that in the chat and then somebody's asked why sugar pills
1: um probably goes back to tra- tradition from the 1890s it does certainly seem to to mean to hold that energy well they have in in the long time past they used some lactose tablets those tended to fall apart really easily so I really liked them for because um, they dissolved almost instantly. So you could get them into a cat's mouth. You could you could get them into a animal that was protesting. You could mix them into anything really easily. But they didn't ship and transport. They they turned into powder, and so I they used weren't... to
0: have some of those. Yeah, they're kind of messy yeah. and they fall apart.
1: Yeah, um, and so the lactose is a durable little pill. Um, I mean, not the lactose, the the sugar pill that's currently used and the amount of sugar in it is minuscule. And I certainly in my very, very, very early days of being exposed to these things, I was like, you know, homeopathy uses sugar pills. That's a bad thing. But the amount of sugar that is in these is minute. And so you really do not have to worry about giving your animals sugar, giving your insulin-resistant horses sugar, they're going to eat more sugar in one bite of grass or hay than they're going to get in one dose of a homeopathic remedy.
0: Well, and one so, thing I haven't mentioned, and maybe you you have it, but as I understand it, no one has ever died from homeopathic remedies.
1: You really cannot overdose. I have lots of, t- lots of emails and phone calls. My horse just ate the whole bottle. My dog just ate the whole bottle. Well, in reality, all you did was take one dose because technically one of those little pills, it's just energy, remember? That could treat a mouse or an elephant. Most of the time, what we do is I usually use about six or eight pills for the horses. That way, if we drop one on the ground, it's okay. And um, if we're trying to just do one or two or three, and we have a big horse and big lips, it may or may not get in. But the exact dose is not critical. It's an energy medicine. So we we are bringing that representation, that energy in the pill into the animal. So a foal or a pony would be, say four to five, three to four. a cat would be one or one to two. A dog would be one to three or four depending on the size. We get some big dogs. And the humans are usually around you know four ish. So um, we, we we can pick our dose of the type of remedy. If it's little sand-like granules, then, a quarter teaspoon, a half teaspoon, a half a cap full. Again, the exact dose is not critical because if you eat the whole bottle, all you've done is waste a whole lot of doses because it's energy, it's one dose. It's a nice amount of sugar at that point if you eat a whole bottle of it, depending on how big the bottle is, but it's, you know, it ain't gonna kill you. And yet, you know, the I think I think the third or fourth leading cause of death in this country is um, drugs, is what, and not just, not drugs like overdose drugs, but drugs and mistakes that the doctors make. Prescribed combinations, that sort of thing. Yeah, overdose, you know, incorrect dosages, incorrect mixes, drug reactions, drug toxicities and, and you listen to the up. TV and that, you know, they talk about this
0: drug. And if you're allergic to this drug, don't take it. Well, it's like, how do you even know you're allergic? It's like,
1: anyway, okay, I digress. Well, if you didn't <laughs> die, <laughs> but you got really sick, then maybe you don't want to take this one again. Yeah. So, yeah, you cannot, you cannot kill yourself with homeopathy. But if you use a lot of the wrong remedies, then... You can confuse the body because even though we've diluted this quite a lot. It's Millie. The remedy have. Yes, it's Millie again. I gave her a big chew toy. It didn't last very long. Yeah. Um, so if we. I lost my train of thought. Uh, doses. <laughs> so. <laughs> if we if we if we dose an animal with it and we we've, we've des- decided how much we're going to give then we have to think about frequency so the more severe the injury or issue is the more frequently you can give it so if you have got just gone out and broken your leg or your ankle or your horse has just gotten kicked Really badly by another horse and is standing there, kind of holding its leg up. Then you can give the remedy three times, four times in an hour. You will not overdose. What I will tell people you put it in your pocket and take it when you remember it. With the horses, we don't, we can't quite tell them to do that, but we can put it in our pocket. And every time we kind of get a sense that the horse is more painful or we see that they're more painful, we can dose them again. So in the first day post-injury, you might give six or eight doses. The second day you might find yourself giving four or five. The third day you might give two or three. And then you might give, give it once or twice a day after that. And so um, if you have a chronic condition, that we're treating constitutionally, we may give one remedy for a couple of days and then wait two or three weeks and let that remedy have time to work because we're working very deeply on something that took a long time to get there and is gonna take a long time to leave. The acute problem came fast, the horse kicked me, and is going to go away faster. And so we can treat much more frequently. And that's where you, you, if you're giving butte, you can give it twice a day. You try to give it three or four times a day and you're going to run into toxicity problems. With arnica, you can be giving it six times a day, eight times a day if it's really, really bad injury, and you will be fine. So it's kind of nice that way because it's really flexible, especially in these acute injury standpoints. So then we have, um, so we've got dosing down and we've got, you know, frequency of treatments. So how do we, how do we think about um, what we're going to treat? So your acute things are going to be your tendon ligament injuries, your kicks, your bruises, your your skin conditions that come up, not the ones that show up every year, but the ones that are some hives. You got into some bee sting. You got a spider bite, things like that. So a good example would be, that's a really kind of fun thing to treat homeopathically. You get these spider bites Mm -hmm. and horses lie in the grass all the time. And if if you want a really fun project, put a headlamp on in the middle of summer and go out and walk through your pasture and look, and you'll see all these little spider eyeballs all over your pasture. And you realize how many spiders there are out there. Cause you see these little eyeballs. Cause they reflect, if you have a headlamp on your head, these things reflect back. And so, you know, you'll see a horse that's got a big welt on it and you go, well, how did it get that? Well, <laughs> It it gets that because it's lying down on top of a bunch of spiders. And spider bites can be quite toxic. And, and you'll get these spider bites over the eye because a lot of the spiders are not very big. And so they can't really bite the skin here because there's too much hair and the skin's too thick. But they can bite the skin over the eye. And of course, the horse lays in the grass. And they come in with this eyelid that looks like a softball on it and it looks really scary, but there's no tearing coming out of the eye. You just have this enormous swelling. Well, this is a good way to learn sort of the principles of how homeopathy works. So that looks like it could be a bee sting, could be a spider bite. And the characteristic of something like a bee sting, we all know, it's red, it's swollen, The skin is usually stretched tightly over it. It's fluidy and it usually feels better under cold water. So that's the characteristic of a bee sting. So the homeopathic remedy, Apis, which is made from the honeybee. One honeybee is all you need to make a lot of remedy. That remedy, will treat anything that looks like a bee sting that feels better under cold water. So that spider bite looks like a bee sting and it usually feels better with cold, and you can put a cold compress on and usually the horse is really appreciative. So you go and get your little homeopathic remedy called Apis and you give them some Apis one dose, maybe two doses if it's really swollen, and usually by that evening, maybe the next morning at the most, that um, will have gone down. And you didn't have to call the vet out, and you didn't have to panic. If the eye itself is damaged, you're going to see tearing. So that's how you can differentiate between something that is just a swollen, like a spider bite or could be a bee sting, whatever, doesn't matter what kind. Homeopathy doesn't care what caused it, it cares what it looks like, what it feels like, what makes it better or worse. So you could have hives all over their body, and if they like a cold compress, then apis will work. Doesn't matter what caused the hives. Right, I think the distinction
0: is whether hot or cold, because I remember Andy got a spider bite between his back legs and he couldn't walk and I put a hose on it and I put him in shock. So it was not better with cold, it was better with warm and you told me to switch from apis to I've forgotten what now.
1: Yeah, there's there's several different ones and you can use rust tox yeah. as a common one that likes warm. Yes. And... and- So it's easy to figure out warm or cold. You don't need, you don't need a hot shower and hot water. You just need a warm towel and you can put the warm towel on their neck, on their belly, wherever that is. And if they like that, then rustox would be a better remedy. And if they like the cold, then apis is a good remedy. And the, the really neat thing about homeopathic medicines is they cost like 10 or 15 bucks. Um, and yet they can do a very, very powerful job.
0: So we have a couple so, of questions. Are you ready for a couple of questions?
1: Sure.
0: Um, someone says, "I ha- have you had any success using homeopathic treatments for feather mites or for sticking stifles? No, those are very different.
1: <laughs> um, feather mites are probably something I have not yet run across but i run across diseases every day that i haven't heard of that are in different parts of the country um the the one thing about mites themselves because we do have quite a few different types of mites is that they are they are physically visible measurable bugs and so if there's a big infestation of true mites then the remedy itself can help with the skin reaction to the mite but doesn't necessarily get rid of the mite. You may want some essential oils. You may need something that actually is going to kill off or drive away the mite itself because it's a big bug. By making the animal healthy, sometimes we make the, mites, the, we make the skin less hospitable to the mites but not, and so the mites kind of go away because they can't bite anymore because the skin is healthy. So I would, I would look at that as a, you probably need a couple of things. What was the other one?
0: Um, stifles, sticky stifles.
1: Sticky stifles, very often we can. And, and that can, can be a little bit of a chronic problem, but it is also something that they go through acutely in growth stages. And simple remedies like the homeopathic rutagrav, R-U-T-A-G-R-A-V is a really useful remedy for many things that involve tendons and ligaments. And since a horse is basically a tendon ligament injury happening, if you want to have a simple kit in your barn, you need arnica and rutagrav because they're either going to bruise themselves or they're going to injure a tendon or ligament. And that will certainly get you started. And in many ways, it is useful to get yourself a little kit. Remember, they last forever. And have it available because when does your horse get hurt? Not at 9 o'clock on Tuesday in the morning, but at 10 o'clock on Sunday when your vet will charge you a lot of money to come out. And if you can even get somebody to come out. So if you can get on top of treating them right away, then um, you are uh, well on your way towards helping them out. Saving yourself some
0: I just put in the chat, um, Washington Homeopathics is a great place to get remedies. They have a 50 remedy kit Um, And you can get refills for your kit, which I've done many times. And I do not leave home without my, my little 50 remedy kit. It lives in my bag. Um, I have treated horses in Africa. There was one that had tick fever. I used belladonna for fever and they swear that that's the reason the horse survived. So, you know, having your kit with you, wherever you go is, can be extremely handy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And their website is homeopathyworks.com. Okay, I'll type that in. Yeah, I type that in. That's a that's a great, great site. Um, what's interesting is that a lot of the homeopathic companies are are having some supply issues. There are less remedies available than there were even a few years ago. The FDA is trying to crack down on some of the remedies. So, if you're interested in homeopathy, keep your keep your nose to the news. And if there are comments or petitions that you can sign about your experiences, we want good information shared that this is really important medicine because it really and truly is.
0: Um, someone else has also asked can you treat P E M P H uh, I G U S? Pemphigus. Uh,
1: thank you. I think. <laughs> um, Pemphigus <laughs> is in that category of chronic disease, which we'll get to in a minute as to how you go about it, because that is not one of your kind of straightforward things. The acute things that we're talking about now are the injuries that that horses do to themselves or an infection, like if a cut starts to get a little bit infected, there's a homeopathic remedy called hepar salt. You can type that in, Wendy and um, HEPAR can sort of act as your homeopathic antibiotic, if you want to call it that, but it is a very powerful remedy. And you start to see a little redness, a little extra tenderness in a, um, a little extra tenderness around a cut that it wasn't bothering the horse two days ago, and now it seems to be bothering them more. A little bit of HEPAR can save you a whole lot of antibiotics and and complications. So Abscesses some, are-
0: um well I just I'm, I I scrolled back cuz some people asked some questions really early on and I put them off because I knew you needed to get to a certain stage. Um but someone's asking it they have a horse that uh, they lost a horse and the one that's left is grieving and they're using flower essences and ginseng Jitsu um and um and Bach, I guess the question for the grieving um and age for Bokflora remedies, which is kind of a different topic, but I don't know if there's any homeopathic remedies for grief,
1: or is that an emotion? Yes. Okay. Well, emotional things can also be acute, and they can be chronic. And so grieving tends to be an acute issue that does happen after a loss. And it is... You can think of it at you can recognize it as acute because it is something that normally does pass chronic issues like you know you've been anxious the horse has been anxious since it was born that's a chronic type of a problem the acute is grieving for a loss there are a number of remedies the the classic one is called ignatia oh yeah and um, Ignacia, when you separate horses, when one of them loses a, a companion, we never think of this, but how many times do we put our horse in the trailer? We go to a horse show and we come home. And then we put our horse in the trailer and they think they're going to a horse show and coming home and we move to a new barn. And we haven't told them. They haven't been able to say goodbye to their friends. And so you actually will have grieving at that standpoint, and you'll have separation anxiety, and you'll have horses that really take sometimes a month or two to settle in. Well, that month or two of settling in is actually a month or two of them grieving the loss of their companions at the previous place. And so, one, we need to tell them what we're going to do. And two, we need to think about remedies. And black flowers are are a flower essence that you can get at many, many health food stores that can also be really helpful. But homeopathically, Ignatia works really well. And then depending on the symptoms, there can be others. But Ignatia, when you're weaning babies, or the mom and the baby, because they've just both lost their, you know, at that point, their life companion, especially in the babies, that's all they've known. So Ignatia can really make a big difference.
0: So someone's asking, is it okay to give more than one remedy? In other words, uh, and I—I I, I, this is an easy one, ligament and tendon injury using Arnica 30X, 3 30S, Ruxtox 30S. Today is day four. Have been doing twice a day dosing since injury on Sunday. Um, personally, my favorite combination is a Ruta Arnica.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so... There are, There is what's called classical homeopathy, which is one remedy at a time, and there are combination remedies that are available that are, some of them are like kitchen sink formulas that have 15 different remedies in them. Some of them are well thought out, and, and Arnica, Ruta, and Russ are interesting because they really do work very synergistically, and you can definitely use that in the, in the combination. And sometimes Sometimes you have several different things you, that you need to treat. So you, let's say you have a fracture. So you may be looking at a remedy like Symphytum, which is great at healing fractures, but you have a lot of bruising and a lot of, you may even have some skin damage. So there I tend to alternate a Symphytum and, and some Arnica and maybe even some Calendula for the, the damaged skin. So you can mix and match. What you don't want to be doing is throwing a bunch of remedies, especially when you get into treating chronic problems. Or a remedy, there there are some very well thought out remedies. There's a remedy called Tromiel, which now shows up as tea. There's a couple of new names for it because the company's not allowed to sell Tromiel in this country anymore. So other people have made it. But um, that is a very well thought out combination remedy that has a lot of components to it, but it also actually has a bunch of scientific research papers um, back in Germany where it originated. And that can be a very effective combination remedy, but some of the combination remedies that are on the market are helpful, but they are not, they don't work as deeply. So they'll work fine in an acute situation, but you start to work a little bit more deeply and you find you're using this remedy and then you're using that remedy and you're just kind of chasing things along. And part of that sort of comment from me is that I'm classically trained and I have found that, that I get the best results in my long-term cases from focusing on one remedy at a time. So if you have a remedy and it's working, keep doing it. So if things aren't working, step back and and start to ask yourself what you're what you're doing here and what you're using. And that's
0: one of the things about homeopathy, that if you're using a remedy and you're not seeing improvement, most likely you have you don't have quite the right remedy for what you're treating.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and, and instead of just remedies out either consult with somebody do some reading do some research but thoughtfully give your next remedy rather than oh well this isn't working i'm going to try this that's not working today so i'm going to try this one tomorrow and by the time the end of the week the horse's body just goes okay i don't know what to do and then you end up calling in you know a regular vet or even a, a homeopathic vet after a horse has had six or eight remedies that were really not the right thing, it's really hard for us to get them back on track.
0: Right. And so, you know, someone's asked whether or not you do consults. I put up your website, HarmonyEquine.com. They can always go there to book an appointment with you on a specific case, especially for constitutional remedies, which really, um, as you said, there's kitchen sink and then there's constitutional, constitutional, requires an in-depth interview and consultation so that there's a full picture of the situation and it, certainly in those sort of chronic ingrained pro, uh, processes. because somebody's asked about cribbing and cribbing is one of those things that I, I don't know anyone that has the magic bullet for cribbing um, it really doesn't oh, work- yeah
1: yeah is not a magic bullet thing a lot of times they g i issues, but many times there there are so many more layers um and i'm it's it's tough right now because I'm really really booked up, so we can you know we can get people onto a waiting list, but we are i don't know everybody's sitting home and working on their horses <laughs>
0: no that's great though I getting to sleep <laughs> right. Um, And also someone's asking about Cushing's Horses. And I know that you have many tools in your kit for dealing with Cushing's Horses, Cushing's and PPID and insulin resistance, aside from homeopathic remedies, that that again is one of those needing the full picture to come up with the right combination of things. Yeah. And we did a webinar on that, didn't we? We did. And people need to go back and watch your webinar. I can't remember what number it is, but we did an entire webinar on uh, insulin resistance and PPID, and it was awesome. So you can go and listen to Dr. Harmon's webinar on that. I'm just trying to see, um, you know, somebody's asking if you would use butte along with tendon remedies, because we are at an hour and a half and we haven't talked about no soats, We might have to have you come back for that because, um, um, but yeah. also ring bone. So we've had questions about ring bone, whether or not you can combine remedies with butte.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so combining remedies with drugs, as I said, can be certainly be acceptable. And you, you, it's nice to step back and say, you know, what are we really trying to do here and try and eliminate some of the things like bute if we possibly can, or use bute to get over a hump from a pain standpoint or any other anti-inflammatory drug. But anti-inflammatory drugs in general slow down the healing process and um, the homeopathics tend to speed up the healing process, so you can actually shave off healing time using the remedies um, and as as Wendy was saying with the constitutionals what we're, what i need what needs to be done whether you 're working with me or with another homeopath is we take all of those signs and symptoms and likes and dislikes and things that make things better or worse, just like we're talking about the warm and the cold compresses, the seasons of the year. It's, I, you ask all kinds of questions, you know, and um, and where the horse fits, you know, what his personality is, all that kind of stuff goes into the constitutional. So and it's a much And you have actually de- a
0: materia medica, isn't that what it's called? That- a repertory of all the remedies so that as you start working through that constitutional you are sort of uh, zeroing in on the remedy that matches the most number of symptoms that you're you're hearing
1: yeah well nowadays we have computer programs you used to have charts and you used to have to write everything out and it would take you two hours to work out the case and now we can put in we can put in the information But it's like all computers, garbage in equals garbage out. So if you get the right input, you come up with very useful remedies. And still, my job as the homeopath is to say, okay, here's 10 remedies that actually fit these symptoms. Which one really fits this horse? So the horse that's messy in his stall and trashes everything and pees and poops in every corner and stirs it up, is probably going to get a different remedy from the horse that puts all of their poop in one corner and pees in another corner and never messes up a a shaving. And that's really the heart of the homeopathy, isn't it?
0: It's the the ability to see the trends and use your intuition and your experience um, to come up with that right remedy, which is why constitutional remedies require, it's a lot of study to become a homeopath to really understand that.
1: Yeah, and these days we're seeing sort of more and more people, even in, the, in, even in the human practitioner world, everybody wants everything easier. So we see a lot of acute prescribing, we see a lot of combination remedies, and we don't see a lot of people really studying homeopathy the way that it used to be or the way that 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 I am approaching it and the beauty of the real serious constitutional treatment is that some of these like somebody mentioned pemphigus some of these really deep-seated autoimmune chronic diseases that horses get can actually be treated really well homeopathically and but it takes that digging in deep in order to accomplish it. You can't just open up a book, oh, pemphigus, this remedy works for pemphigus. You may, you probably won't even see pemphigus really listed because they don't list by disease, they list by symptoms. So one pemphigus horse could have different symptoms from another, pemphigus is a skin disease in most horses. Okay. But um, one disease, just like the common cold, 10 people in an office get the common cold, Nine people get a sore throat, one person gets nothing, one person is sick at home in bed, and the other eight people are somewhere in the middle. So one remedy might fit because everybody has a sore throat, but then there might be somebody that really gets a bad sinus headache with it. It's still the cold, but that person with the sinus headache needs a different remedy. Right. So that's the the complexity, especially when you get into these chronic diseases.
0: Right. And that's
1: very... One of the
0: things I've loved about homeopathy is that we can, the the acute form, the simple form is probably the easiest way for someone to kind of have an experience with it, like Arnica and my mom, or my cat, when she's been sick. Um, But these other deeper levels, they really do require a trained homeopath, MD, or, or you know, as you are uh, DVM, because of the complexity and generally, when people get to homeopathy with these chronic cases, they have tried everything else, and kind of homeopathics often become the last resort, unfortunately, um, as opposed to earlier on but but they it is amazing i 've seen you treat animals and have incredible results. Um, we do have a question about Lyme disease, and we 've had it a couple times. Um, One person's uh, talking about their horse recovering and has soft spots in the soles um, and the top line is sloped to the left of his body more than his right. So, and he, you know, he's been one with it. His right hind has been the one when it's cold outside and skimpy. So they're asking for a suggestion to thickening the soles. But when I read this again, it sounds to me like it's a more complicated case than simply here's the remedy.
1: Yes, those kind of cases you you really can't. There are there are no good knee jerk kind of oh yeah, just give them this and they're going to get better because you really have to look at it. It's a there are sort of classic remedies, and I think we we did a line one too. I think whether we have I've got done a Lyme, Lyme one actually. So that that's I'm just going through my emails
0: because two people had emailed me. I'm trying to find the other one, but yes, we have done a line and we have done.
1: Um, and I've got, I've got a LIME webinar on my website as well um, or a Lyme, yeah webinar and slideshow kind of thing on that. And so there's, there is a fair bit of information to, to help people think through the basics. But when you then start to get, like we talked about earlier with the pandemic idea, there's a couple of remedies that fit a group and then there's all the outliers so you start to get all these other symptoms and that's where you really need the constitutional because when it comes to Lyme I have I have probably used 15 or 20 different remedies over the years that that consistently help with different Lyme cases there's a handful that are that I use a lot of but all the rest are just as important because the horses don't the horses that need all these other you know 10 remedies or 12 remedies, they don't fit the picture, the common picture. They fit their own picture. Right. And when you have the right remedy, then you can treat it. And I know that from personal experience because my Lyme remedies, my Lyme constitutional remedy was, was very different from sort of an acute Lyme remedy. Right. And that's the same. Somebody says their horse has uveitis
0: and obviously autoimmune and inflammation. And, uh, again, that's a more complicated case in terms of how you would treat it and how we would reduce inflammation. And, and so, you know, when we get into these more ingrained and chronic and and autoimmune and inflammatory processes, um, it really does require looking at the entire picture of the horse and understanding its environment and its food and its turnout um, and its personality to come up with the right remedy. It would be nice to wave the magic wand and go here. If you have inflammation, take X. It really would. Um, But I think that that's,
1: go ahead. Huh? I'll sign up for magic wand. Exactly.
0: You know, and I think that's the, that's where, Um, things like homeopathy, we tend to want a pill. We want, you know, just give me the solve. I don't want to have to go through the process. But homeopathy is a process because you have to wait and see how the remedy works, whether or not the symptoms return, do you change the potency. Um, And in my personal experience, because I've worked with a homeopath and gone through that process of constitutionals, but I have many, many times whipped out my little kit somebody's, you know, got a injury and I, you know, here's some Arnica and that kind of thing. And, but that's what I love about it is that on that simple side, we can all begin to learn about homeopathy and have a personal experience, which then leads us to want to know more and kind of draws us into this, what can be extremely complicated, but also can be very simple. um, And, uh, Idea of health, and I think that that's um, you haven't mentioned it yet, but this whole idea that homeopathy triggers the body to heal itself, and that's really what we're doing with these remedies.
1: Yes, because it's it is it's energy, it's not we're not putting a compound in the body that says get better, we're putting that picture, like I said, with the honeybee. The picture of a bee sting is what we're putting into the body, just to, we're telling the body, you got a bee sting. Here's what you need to do to get rid of it. And the body goes, Oh, okay. I can do that because you just gave me the information in that energy of the honeybee. Right. And that's what we're really doing is we're saying to the body here, you can do this yourself. Yeah.
0: And and um, you know the more I think about that and listen to you, the more I realize that Surefoot is so much that way. Um, I was just talking to Catherine Wyckoff, um, who's a Feldenkrais friend, you you know her, I know her very well, um, but that she was saying that same thing. Well, what the Surefoot pads do is they give the horse input to help the horse heal himself, to find his own balance. It's not an external thing we do, it's something that the horse experiences and utilizes the information to find, you know, that quiet place within them, that grounded place. And so, of course, it's a natural idea for me to think of how Sherfoot works and how homeopathics work. They're very similar in that idea of here's the information you need. Take that information and run with it. You can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joyce, this has been just really fascinating. It's been, we've been over an hour and a half. So I think we need to wrap it up here. We didn't get to know Sodes, but we can always come back and, and talk about those in maybe a little shorter webinar um, <laughs> and it's just once again you know I've known you for t- 30 years and yet I still get to learn something when we have these webinars and I really really appreciate it and I hope everyone watching tonight has a uh, uh, okay somebody's asked me to please do no so we're gonna have to come back and have a webinar no so which is an interesting thing on in itself Um, But hey, maybe you'll go out and get some arnica and just try that if you have a bruise and see how it works. Um, Like I said, my mom was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had with, with homeopathics. Thank you all for joining us. Remember you can see this in all the the webinars on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Tomorrow I have Hansha Roll from Holland. She's been working with Surefoot in the Netherlands now for several years and has some really exciting news about the things she's doing over there. I'm really excited about that. We'll talk about use. We'll talk about how she's um, been invited to come and see some pretty impressive people over there. I'm really looking forward to it. And um, thank you again, Joyce. Thank you for everybody joining me. And and we'll have you back again. We got lots of things, actually. We want to talk about CDB, too, what you're doing with that. So um,
1: we'll bring you back real soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. And everybody go out and get your Arnica and play with it. Absolutely. Good stuff. Bye,
0: everybody. Have a great night.